0: Hello, if you don't know me, I'm Kevin Franklin, a member here at Riverbend, and, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here this morning in order to bring to you God's Word. Uh, this morning, if you would turn to Exodus chapter 3 in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, before we get started, I want to tell you a little story, if I may, <clears throat> a brief story about a gentleman by the name of Cliff. Barrows. Now Cliff Barrows has served as Billy Graham's lifelong associate and crusade leader and young people if you have no idea who Billy Graham is then today after the service you can ask your mom and dad and if for some strange reason your mother and father do not know who Billy Graham is then ask your grandparents and if by an even stranger reason they don't know who Billy Graham is well, I guess you could ask Mr. Google, because he pretty much knows everything. So uh, ask him if they don't know who he is. <clears throat> On with the story, in 1945, Cliff and his wife, whose name is also Billy, they decided to get married, so they saved up some money and uh, for their wedding and bought a train ticket, and they traveled to a city that had a resort hotel in the city. Well, upon arriving to that city, the hotel had closed down. So with little money in their pockets, in a strange city, in a strange place, they began hitchhiking back home. Well, as they were on the road with their thumbs out, a, a good Samaritan, if you will, stopped and asked what was going on, and they told that Samaritan, if I can use that word, that person, a, uh, about their story. And he said, hey, I got a great place for you guys to stay. I have a friend that has a grocery store. And right above that grocery store, she has a little room that's prepared for sometimes when she has to stay late and spend the night. So y'all are welcome, I'm sure, to stay there. So he, he took them there. And she said, sure, they can stay here. So this young couple, for those of you who are about to get married or looking to get married, spent their honeymoon above a grocery store in a little one-room shack. Cliff and his wife did. So the next morning, Cliff was up playing his trombone. He was a musician, you see, so he played his trombone. He was playing some Christian songs. So the owner of the store says, wait, I can't have him disturbing all my customers coming in, so they've got to move. So she moved him out and said, hey, i got a friend that lives down the street. Y'all can stay with, with him. So they did. The friend said, sure, they can come on in. Well, this friend had been had been attending some youth rallies there in town. There was this young, vibrant evangelist there at those youth rallies. And the host, after a few days, invited Cliff and his wife to come along. So Cliff and Billy, his wife, said, sure. So they went one evening to this youth event and... and The music minister that was in charge of the music there became ill that day, and he was unable to attend the services that evening. Well, because of Cliff's musical background and because of him playing, getting up every morning, praising the Lord with his trombone, the host where he was staying said, Hey, man, you could do it. So they got in with the right connections, and sure enough, Cliff Barrows was asked to lead the music that night. And the rest is history. For you see, that young evangelist was Billy Graham. And they've been together ever since, traveling all over the world, spreading the gospel through music and through the preaching of God's word. And why did I tell you this story? This is the reason. Have you ever noticed, in in this particular story, you notice that Cliff and his wife had a particular plan made, but those plans were changed, and God interjected His plan. That brings up a question, how many times in your life have you had plans as a Christian, but you see those plans change only to see God interject His plan? Let's read in Exodus chapter 3. Verses 1 through 10. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Can we pray together? Dear Father, we're so thankful this morning that you give us stories to tell. Each of us has a story, dear Lord, to tell. And my prayer this morning is that we will never be too ashamed of you to tell our stories, Father. As we heard the story of Cliff Barrows and his wife, and how you changed their plans, Father. And the great outcome that had come from those changing of plans, and as we read about Moses here, Father, in your book, we will see the plans that you have for him as well. Bless us this time, Father, we pray that your spirit would move this morning in Christ's name, amen. I want to focus this morning, if I can, on verse 5 of this chapter. It amazes me when I study God's word, and you, as you study God's word, it happens to you as well that certain things pop out at you. Well, for some reason, feet popped out at me in this verse, chapter 5. What is it about the removal of shoes and the exposing of one's feet that are so important in this scripture? It also amazes me as, as you study God's word, the different tools that God uses to bring the gospel of Jesus to us. As I was studying this word, he brought Webster's Dictionary to me for this particular word. And in Webster's Dictionary, you will find this definition about feet. It says this, to be an admiring disciple or pupil of. Now, how in the world could you get that description or definition from the word feet? An admiring disciple or pupil of. Right here in our passage this morning, God, at this very moment, in verse 5, was continuing his discipleship of Moses. And why do I use the word continuing? Because if you, if you read about Moses' life, first, you will see that as a baby, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter floating among the reeds in the river where she was bathing, And she took him in, and she reared him, and he was reared under Egyptian royalty. He learned all about their language. He learned all about their ways. He was a royal prince to be. He did this for 40 years of his life. Some of us in here have reached the age of 40, and above some of us. And we can look back and recall how much we've learned in 40 years of our life. Well, something happened to Moses during this time. One day he was out and and something came upon him as he saw a a slave master beating a Hebrew slave. He took it upon himself to put his hands on the slave master and he murdered him. Killed him. When this happened... Moses became frightened of what Pharaoh would do to him, so he fled. He left Egypt and and went into the wilderness. Ended up in a place called Midian. There, he met a family. A man by the name of Jethro, who was a priest of the Midianites. And Moses met one of his daughters and, and married her. And for 40 years... Moses lived with them and became a nomad shepherd. Now, what is a nomad? A nomad is a person who doesn't set roots anywhere. Um, For instance, early in the years when people came to the United States and they went out west and and they would homestead a piece of property and and said, Hey, this is my property. I'm going to live here. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to raise my children, my grandchildren. For years to come, this this will be our land. That's not a nomad. A nomad goes to an area, sets up a tent, where grazing is good for his flocks, grazes the flocks for however many days, weeks, months it takes, picks up, camp, moves on to another place. That's what they did. So that's what Moses became. At this time in our passage, he's 80 years of age. Now, 40 years he spent with Egypt, learning their ways. 40 years he spent with um, Jethro and his family and the Midianites, learning their ways. He is now 80, and God has a trip for him. It's amazing as we look in in verse 5, or, or before verse 5, verse 3, Moses was thinking, hey, I've got to go over and look at this bush. I've got to find out what this bush is because he took these flocks, you know, around the back of this mountain, this uh, mountain of Horeb, which means desolation. There's nothing there, but he sees this glow, this bush burning, and he wonders how can a bush burn an acacia plant, this, this wiry-looking, brittle-looking plant, lightning strikes it, and then it's like ashes Reminds me of of Roadrunner cartoons as a as a kid growing up when every time he tried to catch the, the coyote tried to catch the roadrunner, he'd set off of some kind of bomb or something, it would explode on him, and you'd see him just crumble in ashes. That's what I'm thinking of here. And Moses was thinking the same thing. Why was not this bush just crumbling like that? No coal, no ashes? And it brings about another question that I had. Isn't it amazing what God uses to draw our attention to him? In Moses' case, he uses a burning bush. What has he used in your situation? What has he used in my situation? See, for 80 years, God was grooming Moses and at this very moment in his life it was a pinnacle moment in his life pinnacle cause you see in verse 4 here the lord has seen that moses was going getting closer to the bush and he says no nah, he can't come any closer so he tells him stop the king james version says draw not nigh hither weird words in our our day isn't it meaning don't come any closer is simply what it means. Stop. Don't come any closer. And wait a minute. A- along with not coming any closer, take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. God is asking Moses to reveal his feet. And I understand feet in a sense, you know, and I understand, ladies, when you go have a pedicure done, how. When my wife goes, her feet are nice and soft and oiled all up from the massage, whatever they do there at the pedicures. But yet I've also seen feet that that could smooth out a rough cut piece of lumber. So this makes me think, feet? Well, God is preparing Moses to be his pupil. God is saying, hey, Moses, I'm about to teach you something. Be ready. Get ready. Here it comes. I'm going to show you something. I have something for you, but wait a minute. You can't have those sandals on. You've got to be barefooted. What in the world does he mean about this? Why would he tell him to take his shoes off? Well, I did a little exploration on the feet. We both, most of us, have a left foot and a right foot. And each foot contains 26 bones. 20 muscles, 40 tendons, but this is what got me. Each of our feet contains 7,800 nerves. Now, I looked at the 26 bones, 20 muscles, and 40 tendons, and I hope that's right for those of you who are in the medical field. If not, you can just rebuke me later, please. But I got to those 7,800 nerves and I said, that's it. It's the nerves. Why, what about the nerves? Because our feet are remarkable tools. See, those 26 bones and those 20 muscles and those 40 tendons help us to keep our balance. They help us to walk. They help us to, to run. But those 7000 And 800 nerves shows us how vulnerable our feet can be. And you know this, if you've ever dropped something on your foot or stomped your toe or stepped on a tack, I remember as a little boy, and I don't know how I remember this, but I was probably two or three years of age, and that's by only my mother telling me this. But I remember living in this old wooden house, and I remember running across the floor and stepping on a tack. And that tack going, that's the only thing I ever remember about that house. I, the only other thing I remember is pictures that my mother has shown me about that house. And remember nothing else, but I do remember stepping on that tack and my grandmother picking me up and, and holding me and, and gently pulling that tack out and putting some chrome on the bottom of my foot, if you older folks know what that is. Had an orange spot on my foot for weeks. But I remember that. Man, my foot is sensitive. And our feet are sensitive. Very sensitive. If you've ever suffered any problems with your feet, whether it be a sprained ankle or a broken foot or, or gout or... That's a weird word, but anything like that, you know how sensitive it is when you can't walk. And you can't use your feet like you normally do. It's a remarkable tool. Remarkable. See, God wanted to see Moses' vulnerability. He wanted to see Moses' humbleness. Because, see, taking your shoes off before God shows deep and the utmost respect for him. Moses was in the presence of the holiest of all holies. The ground, God said in our scripture, was holy. You ever thought of dirt being holy? The very bush that he was looking at that was glowing was holy. The very air that Moses was breathing was holy. See, Moses was aware of what it meant to remove his sandals because he witnessed the Egyptian priests do this in the temples in Egypt. It's sort of like our culture. Some of us can remember a day when, when men were, Now, we wear caps a lot now, men, depending on what profession you're in and, and things like that. A lot of guys wear caps. But there was a day where men wore all sorts of hats. They still do it out in the western states. You'll see guys wear cowboy hats everywhere they go. But the believers that wore those hats, when they would come to worship, in our culture, when they come into the building, they would remove their hat. That showed a respect of who you were going about to worship and a respect for the place you were worshiping. That's our culture. But in Eastern culture, when one removes their shoes, they are, are making a confession of personal Defilement. They are showing a conscience unworthiness to stand in the presence of unspotted holiness. And when I studied that, it hit me. That's the why. That is the why of God telling Moses to remove your sandals, remove your shoes. You are in the presence of unspotted Holiness. See in Revelations 4 8, <clears throat> you'll read about these beasts that will be flying around and they'll be chanting something day and night. And that is this Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. What's that mean, those three holies? Well, if you put it in our English today, this is what it would mean. The first holy means this. God, you are holy. No, but wait. Second holy. God, you are holier. No, wait. Even better than that third holy. God, you are holiest. What's holier than the holiest? Nothing. How can anything be holier than the holiest? Hence, the three holies. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Brings me to another question. I don't know how many I'm on now. I just put two fingers up. When was the last time you found yourself standing before unspotted holiness Barefooted. And let me put it to you this way. What that means is kneeling before God, before our Savior, kneeling humbly, vulnerable, before unspotted holiness. A.W. Tozer says this, until we see ourselves as God sees us, we are not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us. As long as they do not get so far out of hand as to threaten our comfortable way of life. In other words, you know, conditions can be what they want to around me as long as it doesn't mess up my comfortableness. That means that we have an understanding of, in our minds, of what holiness is, but do we truly understand God's? Holiness, the holiness of our creator, the holiness of God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We look at holiness as a natural thing. You get up in the morning, you look out your window, you see the sun rises. You see it out there shining. You're drinking your cup of coffee or apple juice or orange juice, and you hear the birds chirping, see the hummingbirds at the hummingbird feeder, watch the squirrels play in your front yard. Go to the fishing hole and throw that worm out there and expect a fish to bite. Look at that pond and say, man, that water's pretty out there. You come in for the night, look up in the heavens and see that dark sky and all of a sudden you see all these glimmering little stars. You see, we expect those things. They're expected to us. We, we don't find ourselves disappointed and not finding the whole truth, all the truth, and nothing but the truth in our teachers at schools. We don't find ourselves disappointed in not finding all faithfulness in our politicians. We don't find ourselves disappointed in not finding complete honesty in our friends Some men have said that the natural man is blind to God's holiness. Think about it. The natural man is blind to God's holiness. But what about the believer? We're all natural people in here. We've all been created by our creator, God the Father. Do we or are we? Blind to God's holiness? You see, we must become qualified to appreciate the holiness of God. We're not going to see it until we become qualified to see the holiness of God. See, we, we know His power. We fear His power. We, we, we read about His wisdom. We long after God's wisdom. But it's His holiness that seems so far-fetched to us, that seems so unimaginable to us. So how can we know this holiness of God? Well, we will never know it on our own will. Never. In order for us to know God's holiness, we must rely on the Spirit of the Holy One. See, believer, it is the Spirit of God that flows through us. And by that Spirit's counsel... And by reading God's Word and by praying to Him and, and drawing closer and, and trying our best to seek Him in all of His ways, that is how we can come closer to God's pure holiness. Because holy is, is the way He is. God doesn't teeter-totter. He does not conform to any standard. He is holy. In fact, he is the holiest. And God reveals this to Moses in verses 6 through 10. Then God continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This afraid here is an an afraid that means he respected and revered God so much that he trembled and said, in other words, oh man, I just can't look at your face. Lord, you are God. You are the God of my father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what that means there. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites cry for help has come to me and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10 is a kicker here. Therefore, go, God tells him. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. In verse 10 here, we actually see the commissioning of a reluctant, stammering, Excuse making fugitive. And you'll see those adjectives are true if you read on to chapter 3 and and chapter 4 about Moses. He's commissioning him to go, use your feet to go. I brought you up in Egyptian royalty. You know how to speak to the Egyptians, you know their ways. You've lived as a shepherd for 40 years. You know how to be tender and how to lead and not drive. So now it's time for you to go Well, God commissioned Moses. And I want to give you a little story about Jesus using feet before I close this morning. It comes from John chapter 13 as I read. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Simon Iscariot's son to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from the supper, Jesus this is, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus told him, One who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. What is Jesus saying here in this passage? Why did I bring this passage up? Two reasons. God commissioned Moses to go to set his people free. Jesus is showing us two things in this passage, and I'll be closing. First thing is to serve. He said, you are my disciples. I want you to serve those you come in contact with. Those who you preach to. Those who you teach. Serve them. That's one of the things that a shepherd does. He leads his flock. He tends his flock. Serve wherever you go. And number two... Jesus says, but I want you to be in in, um, remembrance of this. Learn this as I teach you this. You don't have to go out every time and be washed again. In other words, the scenario. When I was in the um, National Guard, we had to go to summer camp every summer. We had our barracks here, our bathhouse would be behind the barracks, normally on a dirt path. We'd go take a bath for the day, take a shower, and when you walked back to your barracks, your feet were dirty. You had to take a bowl of water or a rag or wet rag or something with you, bring it back with you, wash your feet before you went to bed or else you'd get dirt all in your bed, which would be very uncomfortable for that night. Jesus is using a similar scenario. He's saying this: "Believer, I've washed you clean. You've been washed by my blood. When Jesus died on the cross for us, his blood cleansed us, made us whiter than snow. He's saying, "But there's going to be some times when you're out and about as a Christian, you're going to step in a mud hole. That's sin. And when you step in that mud hole, no. Do do I have to wash you totally again with my blood? No, I've already done that. But you will need to be washed as far as your feet goes. You need to wash that sin away. And how do we do that, Christian? By repentance. By humbling ourselves. By coming to the cross saying, Jesus you know, this sin in my life, I done stepped in a mud hole this week, I need you to wash my feet. We must repent. We must place our unholiness in the wounds of Christ because it was by His stripes that we are healed. He he sacrificed Himself for us. Tozer says we must take refuge in Christ from God, in God. So in closing, we've learned that God commissions us to use our feet to go and do His will. We've learned from Jesus that, hey, don't be discouraged when you go. You may step in a mud hole or two along the way, Christian, but just come back to me. Come to me and let me wash those feet. Let me take that from you so you can be totally clean again. This morning, as we stand together, I want each of us to stand and bow our heads and close our eyes, please, this morning, stand together, bow your heads and close your eyes if you would, please, and. I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. I'm full of questions today, and and I'm sorry if you don't like questions. Some people don't like them, but I like to ask them sometimes. A man told me one time, if you don't ask, you'll never know. So what I want to ask you is this, this morning. If you're here this morning, and you find yourself never, ever Have taken, have taken that leap of faith, asking Jesus to wash you wholly, your whole body, in order to be totally clean. If you find yourself standing where you are this morning with your head bowed and your eyes closed and, and you feel your heart strings being tugged on, saying, hey, today's the day. I've been, I've been urging you to, to serve me. I've been urging you to, to come to me, to follow me. I encourage you today to come and make that decision. Tomorrow's never promised to us. The day of salvation is today. And I ask another question to you. Believers, if you're here this morning and you have found yourself With dirty feet. Hey, I stepped in a mud hole this week or last month, or and I've just never given that particular sin to Jesus. I've never brought it up and nailed it to the cross, allowing him to take that burden from me. I'm still wallowing in this mud hole. My feet are dirty. I need to do that this morning. Then come this morning. You can kneel right there and where you're sitting at if you want to. You can You can come this morning, kneel at this altar. I would love to pray with you if you need me to. There are men in this church who would love to pray with you if you're here this morning and you're a non-believer and you know a man in this church or a lady in this church who have become friends with you and you trust them, then go talk with them this morning. They would love to talk to you. As the invitation is played this morning please don't leave here without making a choice this morning dear father we're so thankful that you're with us today we're so thankful for your word we're so thankful that that you give us the opportunity to allow our feet to be washed those of us who believe and father we thank you that it's not a hard grueling task that we have to go through or hurdles we have to jump in order to receive you. It's simply uh, ABC, uh, admitting that we're sinners and believing that God sent you to die for us on the cross and, and confessing with our mouths that you are our Lord and, and that, you're, that we will serve you. Dear Father, just take us now. Lead us and guide us. We want to do what you want us to do in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask this.